Are we ready for the war? <laughs> I'm sure God will speak to us today, as he always does, you know. We studied last time the, the word that came to us as a life team was, this year is going to be a year of greater works for uh, all of us uh, in one way or the other. And, and we just remind ourselves of that. This year will be a year of greater works. Uh, so the enemy might come with reports which may not appear as if it's going to be. It's going to be just like every other word year, but when it, when it comes with that report, you know for sure that God's plan is ahead and excellent, because he'll always come with the evil report before your greatest breakthroughs, and we studied that in one of our messages, uh, and Bible studies on faith, responding to a crisis, the Jehoshaphat way, if you remember that, every time your crisis will always appear as if it's a crisis, but it's an opportunity of great reward, so... That's why I remember that message. I was looking back at our notes, and we discussed that that message, responding to crisis, the Jehoshaphat way, is a message whose title changes after the end of the message because crisis became an opportunity for Jehoshaphat of great wealth. The same thing that appeared as a crisis became an opportunity for great wealth, and that will happen this year. If, if, you, if you sense a great evil report or you sense something bad, remember it's opportunities now for greater works for God to show up. And so it might not appear the way you think it appears in, but it will be an opportunity for great victories this year. So let's believe that, you know. Great, great, greater works this year. So God was good and um, it was a timely word. Yeah. And he also said one more thing, and, and, and I'll just summarize there. With God as your source, your harvest is close. And he also said that to our life team. You know, with God as your source, the harvest is very close this year. So don't give up. You know, keep God as your source. And I've I've been challenged at my workplace and all. It's very easy to indulge in office politics. You know, to because you know you want to undertake for yourself. Many times God will tell you, don't undertake for yourself. Let me handle it. You know, I will undertake for you. I will bring your. You are. You, you have to consider me as your source. It's very tempting, but. I am your source, not people, not your boss, not your company. I am your source. And man, it's tough, you know? Because when we know how to fix stuff, right? We know how to speak. <laughs> uh, but, but you don't want to do that. Uh, I'm reminded of a passage that I read recently of David being insulted by Nabal, the husband of Abigail. And if you know that story, you know? He insulted David. David wanted to know, wipe out every male from the camp. And his wife, uh, Nabal's wife, Abigail, went and told David, why are you undertaking for yourself? You're a king who's anointed. Let the useless guy lie. You know, don't, don't bother about him. You know? And avoided him shedding blood. And what happened? Ten days later, Nabal died of a heart attack. God knows how to take care of your enemies. But he will let, he'll wait for you to, he'll wait to see whether you want to handle it yourself. Ten days later, the guy dies of a heart attack. Amazing. Amazing. And, and Abigail becomes the wife of David. A very wise and beautiful woman. So, so don't undertake, I don't know for whom that word is, don't undertake for yourself. Let God undertake for you. Heart attacks can come. <laughs> I'm not saying in a, in a bad sense, but your enemies, God can take care of your enemies in the spiritual sense. Don't worry. You just stay focused on the kingdom of God. I will take care of the rest, God says. You know, it's always 
So it's important to remind ourselves that. Praise God. The title of today's message is, Are You Working or Are You Resting? Are you working or are you resting? And uh, we have some amount of scriptures to go through that, but, but we'll rush through all of that as fast as we can. Are you working or are you resting? I want you to go to Mark chapter 6, verses... Mark chapter 6, verse chap, verses 30 to 52. Uh, this is the story, this is the uh, passage about uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. And you've known this passage. And we'll quickly go through these passages uh, as we study this topic. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And verse 31, And he said to them, Come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while. So here is the disciples they have preached, they have taught, they have done a lot of work. They come to Jesus and tell, tell them the report. And Jesus says to them, come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many going and coming and they did not even have time to eat. They were so busy doing the work of God that they did not have time to eat. And Jesus says, come aside to a deserted place and rest a while. Rest is good. Rest is good. Man never thinks of rest as being productive. <laughs> like Jair, like, I've got stuff to do, you know. <laughs> he had such a laugh when he's sharing about that part, you know. I mean, like, he's going through a stone episode, and but he has stuff to do. But that's how we all think, right? I mean, I, we had a snow day the other day, and I was like, man, I've got so much stuff to do at work, right? And God's like, man, enjoy the snow, buddy. <laughs> Take a break. And we had one week of break, right? And that was good. But, but we are ready to go back to work. <laughs> we had all this stuff to do. Man has always got stuff to do. And God, Jesus is saying, come aside and rest a while. So what happens? They go to this deserted place to rest a while. And what happens? The people hear about this and they go ahead to this deserted place. So when they reach in this boat in the Sea of Galilee, goes to the other side, the people are already there waiting to hear from the Jesus. Amazing story. Okay. Now why have they gone there? To rest. So now we'll see whether they are resting, correct? Are they resting or are they working? So why did they go to rest? Because they did not even have time to eat. Okay, now we go to verse 35. Now the day was now far spent. His disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place. Jesus said, Jesus said, I know that. I brought you here. <laughs> this is a deserted place and the hour is late. Send them away to the surrounding country and villages and let them buy themselves bread. For they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. Now, they said to them, shall we go out and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Now look at this. They have come to a place of rest. But before they can enjoy their rest that they are supposed to enter in, what happens? Always happens. What happens? They are confronted with what? They are confronted with 
work. You see? Every time you go to your place of rest, you're confronted with the need to do work. So they ask the most obvious question that any man asks. Should we now start working? Should we bring the wages? Should we now go and buy food? Should we go to work? Now Jesus did not ever ask them to work. Did Jesus ask them to work? No. Jesus said, give them something to eat. But a notion of a sinful man is always that if I have to give, I have to work. Always. Because we have a lifestyle of work built into our system. If I have to give, I have to work. If I have to be blessed, I have to work. If I have to be saved, I have to work. It's always like that. But your first response is, how do I work? Where do I go to work? It's always response. But Jesus like doesn't even respond to that question. He said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. So they didn't even bother to check how much food they had. Because they automatically uh, uh, assumed that they don't have enough food for this vast gathering. Was that the truth? That's a good question, right? Because the answer can be yes and no. Was, was there enough food with them to feed the 5,000? Was there enough food there? Yes or no? No or yes? It's difficult because there is no right answer out here, right? Because, because we know the end of the story. They had enough food to feed the 5,000, right? But in a, in a worldly sense, they did not have food for 5,000. But yet, they had food for 5,000. Now, how do I reconcile that contradiction? Because they really had food for 5,000. Because Jesus would never make a demand of you what you already don't have. Jesus is not a liar. He will never demand of you what you already don't have. He, they had food. Where was the food? In their giving, the food multiplied. They had the loaves. They, the loaves would multiply. God never asked them to multiply. He would do the multiplication. But they had the loaves to multiply. So they had the food to feed the 5,000. So let me ask the question again. Did they have the food to feed the 5,000? Yes. Why? Because they had the five loaves and two fishes to multiply. So all, every time when God asks you a question, He's asking you, do you have seed? Remember always, He's always asking you, do you have seed? He's not asking, do you have the harvest? He's asking, do you have seed? So whenever He's asking you to respond, He's not asking for the harvest. He's asking for your seed. In every action, even in an action, are you willing to seed an act of faith? That's it. Let's keep that thought there. Okay? Remember, he always makes a demand on your seed, not on your harvest. On your seed. Your seed. Because he wants your seed, because he can multiply it in every area of your life. Okay. So we are still talking about rest. So the response of the disciple is immediately. How much work do we have to do? And that is 200 denarii means 200 days of wages I have to earn to feed this bunch of people. So he commanded them to sit and we know what happened. The, the food was multiplied. So they came here to this deserted place to rest to eat food. Did they get food? Yes. So they had their rest, correct? Yes. But along with their rest, 
who all got rested? A bunch of people got rested. That brings me to the second point. When you walk into your rest, you will be a blessing to much more than you alone. But if you walk in works, it will be a curse only for yourself. But if you can walk in the rest of Jesus Christ, you can be a blessing of rest to a multitude around you. It's always the case. They went to rest. They not only were rested, but they rested 5,000 people. It's always the case because now they are not walking in their works. They are walking in the works of God. Amen? Amen? We are talking about rest. Okay, let's go back here. So the, what we study is the place of rest becomes a place of provision. I want you to write it down if you are taking notes. The place of rest becomes a place of provision. But before that, cares will seek to find a place in your heart. It's always the case. Before you arrive at your place of rest and your provision, you would be tempted to work. You would be tempted to work. You would be tempted to work. You never think of work as being tempted to do, right? But you would be always be tempted to work. You got, you, the enemy will always want you to work for it. Not physical labor in a physical sense, to be anxious for it. You got that point? To take cares about it. To be worried about it. The moment you worry, you are working. Let me repeat again. The moment you worry concerning any situation in your life, you, in God's eyes, you are starting to work. The moment you start to worry about anything in your life, you are starting to work. You are starting to work. You are starting to work. God wants you to be rest. God wants you to enter into rest, not to worry. Because the Bible, Jesus said, do not be worried about tomorrow. Enough is the worries for today. He says, my, your, my provision is available for you every other day. You are not supposed to work. Work is worry. Work is worry. Worry is work. And God sees it that way. So your place of rest becomes a place of provision, but not before care seeks to find a place in you. So anytime you are getting anxious about a certain situation, it is so easy. It's so easy. And we are going to go through a lot of scriptures and you'll be blown away by the amount of stuff that God, the word of God talks about this. It is such a deceptive, it's such a deceptive, all temptations are deceptive, but it's such a deceptive technique or strategy of the enemy to bring in worry. Because by bringing in worry, he brings in work. And if he, if he can get you to work, he can make sure that you, are, you will not get your provision. You will not get your provision. Because he knows the rest of God is what provides the greater works that we talked about last life day. The greater works come through rest doesn't come through work okay now verse 51 now this is the same passage goes ahead and then Jesus goes sends them out to a mountain goes to pray sends them out in a boat and we know what happens now they have problem in the boat <laughs> now they have a problem in the boat <clears throat> now we know that story about you know then Jesus comes walking and we studied it last time why the need for the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit was there in that boat, there would have no problem. But there was no Holy Spirit at this point because Jesus was physically on this earth. So he had to physically walk from the, the fourth watch of the day to the, the watch. It's about four or five hours he had to walk from the mountaintop to the place of the boat for them to realize 
and cry out to him because he had to provide himself as an option for them to seek help from. Interesting. He would not force himself to get onto the boat. He would offer himself as an option for them to seek him if they so choose to. <laughs> this is amazing how God is. Just because Jesus is here on earth doesn't give them the disciples extra privileges that is not available for you and me through the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? We get that? Just because Jesus was here on earth did not give the disciples extra privileges that is not available to you with the Holy Spirit right now. It doesn't. You have every privilege that the disciples enjoy with Jesus physically, the same privileges now with the Holy Spirit in your presence. It's amazing. So they called out to Jesus. Jesus walked in and then made a big statement. Verse, verse 51. And he went into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. And the verse 52 says why they were marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Let me make you a statement and think about this. Being amazed is no compliment to an unbelieving generation. <laughs> this is so funny. We think that, you know, we are amazed about how great God is in terms of his miracles. God doesn't consider amazement as a great compliment. <laughs> Being amazed is no compliment to an unbelieving generation. So contradictory to the way we think. If somebody is so happy and amazed that God can do great things in your life, God thinks of it as unbelief. He says, you should expect me to always provide. You should expect me to always come through. You should not be amazed that I come through. What does that show? What does that show? Can you imagine if your kids were so amazed that dinner appeared? <laughs> I mean, and they go and share, share with their colleagues at school. You know what? My dad actually gave me dinner yesterday. <laughs> of it. But we so lightly consider the same way when we talk about God. When you think about God going in heaven and say, boy, that guy is boasting about my provision. I mean, I'm sure a bad God out here. <laughs> See, how you think about the God looks at the way you look at amazement as an unbelief. See, we have, see, we have come with a, with a generation of unbeliefs that is so much built into us that every time God even does something, it's like a wow, great. Man, you need to constantly expect God to do all the time. You're always supposed to walk in His provision. All the time expect feeding the 5,000. Always expect the dead to be raised. Always expect your healings to come through speedily. Always. Always. It's nothing to do with God. You're not supposed to be amazed. We talked about that last time. Faith without drama. <laughs> I want the life team to come to a place where you exercise faith without drama. When faith without drama, faith is like a servant, does it when you want to. I know it is, it is not what we walk in, but this is what the Bible talks and teaches us. So we have our standards. We need to walk towards that. Okay. Okay. Verse 51. And then uh, being amazed is no compliment to an unbelieving generation. And Mark chapter 8 verses 17 to 19. Now you would think that the disciples already learned this, right? Now this is like feeding the 5,000. No, they wouldn't. Because we know in Mark chapter 8, verses 
He's still in Mark 8, verses 17 to 19. Verse 13 onwards. He left, left them again, getting into a boat again, departed to the other side. Now verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. <laughs> now they still have a problem with bread. Okay? And they did not have more than one loaf with them. Now you would have thought that now by now loaves and bread should not be a problem. I mean we just got over loaves and bread, right? Okay. And then Jesus says, be careful. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And verse 16, immediately they were so guilt ridden by the fact that they carelessly forgot to take bread. Now this is, real, this is sincere mistake. They just forgot to take bread. Not that they did not have bread. They just forgot to take bread in the boat. Now you're in the boat. Your boat has already started. Now they have forgotten to take bread. Now Jesus is talking about false doctrine of the Pharisees. Now because he uses the word bread, it's like somebody who has a guilt conscience. You mention that word and then... <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> we never talked about you. So now let's hear your story. What is the problem now? <laughs> You go through that with kids, right? It's not me who put the ate the cookie. You know, we were not even talking about cookie. So, so, and Jesus being aware of it, verse seventeen, because they were talking about themselves. Okay, because they were like so ashamed to bring it up to Jesus. Why do you reason? Because you have no bread. Do you not understand? Do you not perceive? Is your heart still hardened? Having ears, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not even remember? <laughs> Jesus is giving them down. <laughs> Eyes, ears, hearing, you have no, you know, I mean, can't you just, can't you, can't, can't you get this fact that bread is not a problem with me? Can't you just understand that bread, provision is not a problem with me? Can't you just understand that? And then he goes, he doesn't stop there. He says, he goes through mathematics. He says, when I broke the 5,000 for five, five loaves for 5,000, how many baskets did you take? It's almost like, <laughs> Can you please tell me how many baskets did you have left over? They said 12. And then I broke 7 for 4,000. How many large baskets did you have? They said 7. How is it that you don't understand? <laughs> I mean, he is being rough on them. But he doesn't mean rough for no reason. Because he's saying, you guys don't... Always in doubt. Always in unbelief. Always. Always hardened. And, and it's, it's something that God speaks to us, you know. Don't be anxious about your provision. Don't be anxious about your tomorrows. Don't be anxious all the time. It reflects God in very poor light. Let me make a statement. Unlearning a lifetime of work and learning a lifetime of rest. Let me repeat. Unlearning a lifetime of work and learning a lifetime of rest. We as human beings, when we suffer lack, we always think it's a problem because of a lack of work and diligence. We always think if we lack something, it's because of what we have not done enough, or what we have not done, or we are, God is favor of God is not upon you is because we have not done something, or I've I've messed up something. God is telling you need to expect me to be favorable to you. You you need to expect to walk in the goodness of God. You need to expect to be blessed. You need to start walking in that, not always striving to please Him. Striving to please Him because He loves you because you are the Son. And we studied that last time. The righteousness that is on... You remember that word? We studied that better than John? The righteousness that comes of Christ on you is, is better than John the Baptist. Better than John. All his good works could not get the righteousness that you and I have in Christ Jesus. You are the Son of God. You have already made it. So you need to expect to walk in a lifetime of rest.
Okay, let's go to John chapter 5 and we'll go quick. John chapter 5, a perfect embodiment of works versus rest. Perfect embodiment. John chapter 5 verses 1 to 15. And you know this uh, uh, incident about Jesus healing the the lame or the paralyzed guy at the pool of Bethsaida. Now verse uh, chapter 5. Now after this there was a feast of the Jews and the Jews went up to Jerusalem. And there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool that was called in Hebrew Bethsaida having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water and whoever stepped into it first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. How many years? 38. Say a long time. Long time. Almost a generation, right? 38 years at that pool. 38 years at that pool. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. Jesus saw, Jesus knew. Jesus saw, Jesus knew. When Jesus sees you, he knows. He knows stuff about you. He said to him, Do you want to be made? Well, the sick man asked him, answered him saying, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, but while I am coming, Someone else steps down before me. Jesus answered him saying, Rise up, take up your bed and walk. Perfect example of works versus rest. Perfect example. And Jesus, every miracle had a purpose of teaching. Pastor talked about it. Anything that is recorded in the scripture is recorded for a reason. This is the classic embodiment of works versus rest. Works versus rest. That pool is a pathetic picture of a, a system built upon works that you and I live in today. It, it is in every generation, in every situation. It's a beautiful, it's a perfect picture. It's not a beautiful picture. It's a perfect picture of, an, of a system of works that has been instituted by the curse when man fell. Why? Here's a pool. The water is disturbed, not by choice, totally alien at, at, a, at a timing that is not known to the people around. It is stirred and whoever comes in, whoever is physical, whoever can make in and run and get in first will be healed. That's it. All the others will have to still wait. So what does this system generate? Now I want you to think about this system, right? This is a system. It can be any system. It's your workplace. It could be your marriage. It could be your relationships. It could be your church. It could be your ministry. It's a system that is having a, a resemblance of grace built into it. Because the grace is that at least one will be healed. At least one will be touched. At least one will be provided for. At least one will be blessed. Now if you are in a system in your life in which grace is contingent not on you, but is contingent on divine will, and in which you have absolutely no say, and in which there could be a possibility that you can be blessed, but there is no guarantee, 
This pool of Bethsaida is a picture of your life. Do you hear that? This pool of picture has a, picture, a little bit of grace into it because an angel does come and stir up the waters. Or, or so the saying goes. Or people believe. But everyone who jumps in does not get healed. Only the first one, the fittest and the strongest and one who is alert and the one who is able to make it. So the one who gets in and gets saved comes back healed because of whose perseverance? His own. Because he was alert. He was strong. He was uh, able and he was quick. Amen? Who gets the glory? He gets he gets the glory. And God is constantly trying to destroy pools of Bethsaida in your life. He's constantly. This whole system generates what? It involves pain. Around that pool where people who are lame, blind, paralyzed. Pain. There is always pain around that system. It's full of pain. Second, it involves a lot of weight. There was no guarantee how long you have to wait. There's going to be wait, wait and wait and wait. 38 years in this case. And there, there's, it doesn't mention that he was the guy who waited the longest. There could be others who waited the longest. There was anxiety. Why was there anxiety? In the system there was anxiety, correct? Why, why was there anxiety? Right? You never knew when. It, should I now sleep? Should I take a nap right now? Can I, can I eat my food right now? Or can I look around there? Can I look at the sky? Or will the water stir? You are living in perpetual anxiety, correct? Wow. Fear. Is there fear in this system? What is the fear? Fear somebody else. Fear. Man, I, I don't trust you. You may be a friend, you are sitting next to me, but I don't trust you. You better keep your leg on the right side, okay? You, you, you don't trust anybody. Everyone is an enemy because everyone is in, against you because he wants to get in ahead of you. So it's a system built on fear, okay? Is there, a, is there competition? Yes. There is competition. There's a system built on competition. Is there envy? There is so much envy because once that guy gets healed up and goes out and he's happy, what does it generate in the others? Hope? No. Envy. Man, that guy just came in two days back. He just happened to be there. It builds an envy. Does it bring, build an anger? I was so close. If only my garment didn't tangle that day. Only if that guy's face I did not see that day. You know, it's anger. System built on anger. Disappointment. I got him, man. I got him. I was the first. I was the first. But who are you going to tell? Who are you going to? Which angel is listening to you? I was the first. But I'm not healed. There's disappointment. Is there hopelessness? There is hopelessness. I don't know, Lord, how, how long more should I wait? Will I die at this pool? How long should I wait? If your Christianity is a pool of Bethsaida, brothers and sisters, that is not the Christianity that Jesus Christ came to institute and to give you. It's not. It is not. It is not a system of works. It is not a system of works. Now look, look at this. Jesus walks up to this guy and asks him, what does he ask him? Do you want to be healed? What does the man reply? Why 
he is telling he is telling about how works is not able to get him into the water he is telling how works cannot get him into water jesus is asking do you want to get well but because his lifestyle is a lifestyle of works he now knows it's almost like josh asking me i i the other day i think once we had asked him he was asking for the for his christmas present what do you want and he's abhi i we asked him what do you want he said i want lego ro- robotics you know that lego pieces that you can make robots out of and he that was his dream it's a little expensive but that's what he wanted he said don't buy me anything just buy me that so he didn't know that i had i had between us we had agreed to buy him that so there was a day then he realized that <laughs> that we had agreed to buy the date his response was not like oh but how will you work so hard to get that money now will your boss be happy with you to work additional hours and will he uh, will he be able to give you additional money will you get a bonus and uh, what will happen will you will you put money in the bank will the investment still go up he doesn't go through all that this man's response was very similar you see but there is i want to get well but there is nobody to get me into the water and before i get in no do you want to get well the answer is yes your response to god should always be that do you want to be blessed yes lord question is not how i am going to get blessed that's god's business right that is rest god wants you to enter a lifestyle of rest not of works even in christianity can have a picture of works built into it see the pool of bethsaida is a picture of christianity that is an aura of grace in it but it's an aura that is deceptive it is not from god amen the pool of bethsaida is where your savior appears and says do you want to be healed and i am healed your pool of bethsaida is every place where jesus is my pool i can dip in i be well amen at my choosing at my wanting whenever i want and what for whatever i want amen always always past works into into rest into rest into rest the curse of works it's hard to get get out of it because it's not because it is hard but it's because we have learned it over a period of time learned it over a period of time so when jesus asked the man a question do you want to get well let me ask you a question and this is a question that you and i face it how do you respond to great grace let me repeat that question how do you respond to great grace yes you know how do you respond to great grace now here is jesus the messiah the man the god who created this guy he knows his every molecule every proton every electron he knows him even before he was born he knew him he was there for 38 days years how do you respond to great grace by by saying thank you by not feeling guilty not going to god and saying i am undeserving oh lord i am broken down you know i don't deserve this great grace that you give me all that is done but the fact that great grace appears to you and says what do you want your response should be thank you jesus i do not want to insult your grace i know you are able to do it i'm not going to question the ways but i know that you're going to do it and i'm going to say thank you learning to say thank you to great grace is a start 
in your life. And it will break so many barriers and doors that are stopping you. A lot of stuff that are stopped for you is because your works are <laughs> blocked it and it doesn't open it up. You are to let your works move out and let grace open the doors for you. Your works are standing in the way all across. A lot of works, a lot of works in our life. I and mean, you can look at our own lives. The temptation to enter into works is very hard. We have to always be saying that, Lord, is it my works that are coming in the way? I don't want, Lord. I want to depend on your grace. I want to depend on your rest. I want to enter into rest, Lord. Rest does not mean inactivity and blissful activity. We'll talk about it. No, 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 no. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. The response was rooted in works. How do you respond to great grace? The response of that man was a contradiction to the ability, the power and the character of God. The response of that man was a contradiction to the ability of the power, the, the ability, the power and the character of God. Just like my son does not have any doubt when I can provide for him a Lego toy because he knows how much I earn, approximately. Enough to be able to buy him a robotics toy, right? Sometimes he will ask you exactly how much you earn. <laughs> But I always say, enough to provide your needs, buddy. You don't have to worry. Enough to provide your needs. And that's how it is. When you go before God, say, enough. Anil, you don't have to worry about how it will be done. It will be done. Is that good enough for you? Yes, Lord. It's good enough for me. But do I need to do everything? He, he will sit down and teach you stuff. Like he told the disciples, after I broke, how many, how many baskets were left? You, know, you don't want to go through that with Jesus, right? Let the basket counts, let us handle the basket counts. Jesus, you do the multiplication, we will do the counting of the baskets, right? <laughs> That's how it is. Let, let God do the work that he can do. And Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. The Sabbath, well, let me, let me make this statement, it is good. It is good. When your Sabbath has arrived, it's time to walk. When your Sabbath has arrived, it's time to walk. You know, when your Sabbath has arrived, it's time not to discuss, question, it's time to walk. It's time to walk. That is your Sabbath. Sabbath doesn't mean sitting at home. That is traditional Christianity. Sabbath means walking in the works of God, walking in His victories, walking in His righteousness. Walk. It's time to walk. Verse Didn't I not? We didn't discuss this. This is interesting that this miracle at Bethsaida happened on which day? Wow! Is that a coincidence that it just happens to happen on a Sabbath? So much of Jesus' miracles almost like intentionally trying to rub it in, right? You know what? He never did it to rub it in. You know how Jesus did miracles? We know. He gave a secret. He told one place how I do miracles. He said, Everything that I see my father do, I do. So it's almost like he's sitting at the pool of Bethsaida and he sees the father God doing and going and healing this guy. And Jesus would immediately get the cue, go and do that. And I've seen that people who are in ministry would know that. Especially when you're in healing, you'll suddenly see the spirit of God just hover over people. Or you would sense that somebody's face would just light up. Isn't that happens? When you're, when you're, you're, if you're, when, when you're in healing ministry, you would know that. It would just happen, you know. Jesus actually saw Father God doing stuff. And so what happened? The Father God was doing stuff more often than not on a Sabbath. 
verse, the, verse 16. For, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Verse 17. Jesus answered them saying, My father has been working until now and I have been working. Why does he make that statement? Because they hated the word work on a Sabbath. So Jesus goes an extra step. He said, not only am I working, my Father in heaven who you seek to serve is also working on a Sabbath. So when he is working, I am working too. So he is working, I am working too. And now, now verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Now they are double man. Because they not, he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also made God as his father and making himself equal to God. So he's saying the father is working. The father is working. My father has been working until now and I have been working. Let me make a statement. The unfinished work of creation is, was the dealing with the sin of man. There was, let me ask you, did God finish all works on the, seven, on the sixth day? Correct? Did God finish all his works on the sixth day? Yes or no? Therefore he called the seventh day blessed because he rested. Because there was no more things to work. Correct? So he finished working. Amen? He finished working. Then why, why did Jesus say, I am working and my father is working? Yeah! Who put God to work? God did not work. God rested. Everybody rested. Everybody rested after the sixth day. There was no more work to do. Work started back again. When? Adam sinned. Then work had to start again. Work had to start again. Work had to start again. So work has its origins in what? In sin. Let me get that. This is traditional Christianity. will tell you something else. But... The word of God says this. Work started after sin. See my father. The unfinished work of creation was dealing with the sin of man. Now they were doubly mad. Verse, uh, verse 20. For the father loves the son and shows him all these things and he will show him greater works than these that he will marvel. The works continued. And And verse 6, uh, John chapter 6, verses 28. Somebody can read that? When the people asked him, what work should I be then do? He, his, his response was, this is the work that you need to do. You need to believe in the one that was sent by my father. That means he said, he want to believe in me. The only work that God tells you and I to do as work is believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. John chapter 7 verse 19, 21. He said, 
I did one work and you all marvel. That means they were angry because he did one work. He said, John chapter 9 verses 1, John chapter 9 verses 1 to 14. Again, the focus is on work on the Sabbath. He taught so many places where Jesus was healing people on a Sabbath. And verse 4, he says, I must work the works of him for night is coming when no man can work. Jesus throughout his life on the earth was working because he says a, a time is coming when no one can work. I must work the works of man. John chapter 9 again verse 14. Now it was Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened the eyes of the, bl opened the, eyes of the blind. Remember the day when, when he, he healed the blind, he made clay and put it on the blind man. That day that he made the clay was also on a Sabbath. It is so ironical that he decided to physically make clay on a day that traditionally you are not supposed to work. He actually made clay on the day of Sabbath. Again proving a point that the work that he was working in was the work of God. Okay, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 12. Let's quickly go there. Matthew chapter 12. There were two incidents here. One, he's, he's in the fields. Matthew chapter 12 verses 1 to 8. He's in the fields and the disciples are plucking some grain from the uh, crops and eating. And verse 2, and when the, when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful for you to do on a Sabbath. And then Jesus goes and proves through the scripture. In verse 5, he says, Don't, Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? And yet he says, yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. And then verse 8 he says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now that brings up a very big question. Jesus is defining what is the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath in this verse? He says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He says, what you say as the Sabbath is what? Is me. I am your Sabbath. When you, when I show up, Sabbath shows up. When I show up, your miracle should show up. Your, your bondage should be free. Your victory should be happening. Your, your power should be managed, manifest for you. Because the Son of Man is the Lord of the harvest, of the Sabbath. I want you to go to Mark chapter 2, verses 27. Mark chapter 2. Verses 27. Again, in another passage, he says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, what? So, again, the verse. The Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. So, Sabbath or the day of rest was made for man. And Jesus is your Sabbath and Sabbath was made for man. Let me ask you a question. What is the first thing that what was the thing that man did the day after he was created? The day after he created, what did he do? Now don't calculate, just instinct. 
rested. That took a long time. <laughs> he got, uh, God created man on the sixth day and the seventh day he rested. So the, he started off man by giving him a holiday. Just look at it. It's not a coincidence. Because God wanted man to enter into his rest. God, I, I want you to get this thing. God wants man to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. That's how he decided. Remember this. Let me give you another example. Wondered, have you ever wondered what was the day that was after the day after Jesus died? You know the day after Jesus died, what was the day? Saturday. <laughs> it was the Sabbath. Jesus died, the next day is what? Is rest. You think that's a coincidence? Why do you think the day after Jesus died is a Sabbath? It's all done. There is nothing more to be done. In fact, the Bible says it is finished. Matthew chapter 27 verses 50. Jesus died. The veil was torn. The ninth hour, the sixth hour, there was... From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness. Ninth hour, Jesus gave up his spirit. His veil was torn. Why was the veil torn? Why was the veil torn in the temple? The veil was torn in the temple saying that the, the age of works is done. Age of works is done. You no longer have to work it out to enter into my grace. I'm, I will cut it off. Gee, God cut it off. And the Bible says, He said, the works have been finished. And the, the next day is the Sabbath. Interesting. And where do we read that? It says, uh, John chapter 19 verses 31. Can somebody go there? Because... It's again powerful. Nothing is a coincidence in Jesus' life. John chapter 19 verses 31. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies could not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. Got it. Good. Look at this. Jesus died on which day? Friday, Saturday, please. Remember the Jewish day. There was no Friday, Saturday then, you know. When did Jesus die? The day before the Sabbath. He's playing it safe. The, the preparation day. Hey, man, we just read the verse. We just read it, man. Look, look at that. John, John chapter 19, verse 31. Therefore, it was the preparation day. Okay, it tells you that Jesus died on the? God. <laughs> what is the preparation day? What is the preparation day? Anybody? What's that? It's a day of work. Correct. It cannot be a Sabbath. Why can it not be a Sabbath? Yeah, next day is Sabbath. Okay. But, okay. Okay, let me let me let me let me tell you what happened. Look at the verse out there. It says it was a high day. Do you read that verse? Where, where does it say? Verse thirty-one. 
the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath for that Sabbath was a high day. It was not a regular Sabbath. It was not a regular Sabbath. It was a high, high day Sabbath. The Jews, the Jews had seven high day Sabbaths. In addition to regular seven day Sabbaths, they also marked seven days, feast days as Sabbath days. Like the first day of unleavened bread would be a Sabbath. Moses told them. That means in addition to regular Sabbaths, that day you also have to rest. You got it? Okay, you can go and do the research and you can read it. It's called high day Sabbath. Or seven additional Sabbaths in addition to the regular seven day weeks. Got it? How many of you got that? So Jesus died on a preparation day. What is a preparation day? The preparation day is the day before unleavened bread when the Jews, and they still do it, they remove every leaven from the house. They remove every leaven. Every leaven from the house has to be cleaned and removed. So any bread particles, any anything that has yeast in it in the house has to be thrown out. And the Jews, they actually go through a very, even now, they go through everything, make sure that there's no leaven in the house. Interesting how Jesus died on the preparation day, correct? Why? He was sin, right? He was taking away the sin of the world. Wow, amazing, right? Everything is perfect. Everything is perfect. And the next day happens to be a Sabbath. Just happens to be a Sabbath, right? Never happens, right? But Jesus said, I don't want anybody to work. My work is done. Work is finished. Finished. It is done. So now you don't start working, correct? See, when you start working for the same things for which Jesus died, it's an insult to the sacrifice of Jesus. So what happened was, the day of preparation, the next day was the Sabbath. That was the first day of unleavened bread, which was a high day, high day Sabbath. Then the next day, they worked. And the next day was a regular Sabbath. Therefore, the Bible fulfills the prophecy saying that he was three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. Not because he died on a Friday, but because there were two Sabbaths that day. Therefore, they had to wait. So it fulfilled all prophecy. Got it? And we artificially tried to push it on a Friday and make Jesus come up on a Sunday. But that's not how it was. <laughs> because there were, he died on the preparation day. Then there was a Sabbath. Then work. Then Sabbath again. And then Jesus rose again. Three days, three nights. Three days, three nights. There was a reason. Jesus was was numbered with with the sinners. Okay. Let me how many of you know the story where Jesus told the disciples to carry two swords? You never know that but Jesus told the disciples to carry swords? How many of you have heard that story? Yeah? There is a place where Jesus told his disciples to carry swords. Is that a surprise? Yes or no? <laughs> it's like, man, what? You know, nobody wants to be trapped, right? <laughs> but, but yeah, Jesus did. Okay, let's go to Luke chapter 22. <laughs> this is not fiction, it is really that. Luke chapter 22. Uh, There's a point why I'm bringing up that verse. Luke chapter 22, verses 35. Luke chapter 22, verses 35. 
Okay, now Jesus is saying, this is towards the very end, before he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay? Okay. Well, everybody got the verse, Luke chapter 22, verses 35. And he said to them, when I sent you without money back, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? And the disciples replied, said what? <coughs> Nothing. Then he said, but now he who has a money bag, let him take one. He who has a knapsack and let him take one. He who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this must be written, which is written must be accomplished in me, that he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And they said to him, Lord, look here, two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Let me ask you a question. Why is Jesus asking his disciples to carry swords? And knapsacks and provision. In fact, did he say that he who lives by the sword shall die by the sword? Why is he carrying swords? To be prepared for the rejection that's coming. It's an <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting question. It's something to think about. Here, but Jesus makes a statement before that. He says, when before I told you not to carry a knapsack, not to carry your money back, did you lack anything? The disciples say what? Nothing. Let's stick with that. When, God, when Jesus says you will not lack anything, you will not lack anything. And the disciples proved it to that point. They never lived poor on the earth. No, they didn't. Because they always had all sufficiency. Jesus was their Sabbath. When Jesus walked with them, all their needs were met. They lacked nothing. Why did you say, we lack nothing? Because Jesus said so. We lack nothing. But at this point he says, carry a knapsack, carry an extra thing and carry swords. Why? Because he says, and he says, this prophecy should be fulfilled. That I will be numbered with the transgressors. You got the point? The day that Jesus became sin for them, there was no provision available for them. There was no rest available for them. There was no victory available for them. For that day was unique in the history of all mankind. That no man could save them. The disciples had no savior for a brief period when Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. You got that point? In fact, to the extent that Jesus himself cried out and said to the father, 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 why do you forsake me of all the people? Man, if God was ready to forsake him for sin, you think the disciples had any chance to survive in an evil world? He said, carry sword. Carry your knapsack. Carry provision. Why? Because I am going to be numbered with the transgressors. But not for long. Just for a brief period. But Jesus was so concerned for their safety. And the lack of covering for a brief period. He said, carry it. You got the picture? Why do you and I then behave as if he is still numbered with the transgressors? He's powerful. But Jesus is not on the cross, and he's not numbered with the transgressors, right? He's not. He's not. His rest is available 
So don't live a lifestyle as if we still numbered with the transgressors. So you don't need swords, you don't need insecurity about your finances, you don't need insecurity about anything in your life. You don't need because he's not he's not numbered. He's not numbered with the transgressors right now. He's not. He's not. When Jesus is making very point, he said, he's telling the disciples, when I told you not to carry something, did you lack anything? No, Lord. But I tell you to carry right now. But then I'm telling you not to carry. And he's telling to you and I, believers, not to worry about your tomorrows, not to worry and be anxious. Don't. Because I'm no longer numbered with the transgressors. Because I'm victorious, right? It's finished. It is finished. I'm out of the tomb. And you can enter into rest anytime by your choosing. So you do not live in a system of bedside up. Where grace from God is by God's choosing, by His will. So don't use words like that in your life. It's by choice. You can walk in every time you want. The veil was torn down by Him. It is finished. It is finished. So you will never lack anything. And uh, live a lifestyle that is always victorious. Okay, I want you to go to Exodus chapter. How many of you remember the Passover that Jesus said? Exodus chapter 12, verses 12. Now this is the first mention of Passover. And God says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now I've read that verse many times. I never realized that he passes judgment on who all people? He passes judgment on who all people? What all things? Yes, he passes judgments on man, on beast, and all gods of Egypt. But gods of Egypt were idols. No, they were demonic spirits that masqueraded as idols. And God says the same thing to you. When you walk in my rest, I will execute the Passover judgment on your enemies and all demonic forces that are arrayed against you. That Passover was not just for man and beast, but was also against every god of Egypt. So every god in your life, every demonic power that is arrayed in your life, God passes a Passover judgment in in Jesus. The blood of Jesus executes judgment on every adversary in your life. So you be bold. You walk and rest. Because you are walking now in the Passover covering. You are no longer fighting your battles. You can maybe fight a man. Maybe you can fight a beast. But you definitely need God to fight gods. Right? You need God. And much of your battle in your life is not against flesh and blood. How many of you know that? Much of a battle in, in your life is not against flesh and blood. It is against Egyptian gods. They continue from generation to generation and take forms that will adversely uh, 
fight against you. Remember that. The Passover blood of Jesus executes judgments against God. Can you remember that? The Passover blood of Jesus executes judgment every, every demonic spirit. Every demonic spirit. And by that authority, you can start walking in that. I'm telling you. So you don't be afraid of any curse. You don't be afraid of any plans of the enemy against your life. You walk in proper authority. That is a rest that he's making you walk in. Not because you deserve it, but because you're the son of God. Amen? Okay. We have so many passages, but I think we'll still go and finish it off. So we studied that in the, just by showing creation. Man starts by work, God starts by rest. Your fulfillment is found in the rest of God or in your resting. Your fulfillment is found in the rest of God in your resting. Interesting. Are you ready for some more verses? Yeah. Okay. How did the Israelites discover Sabbath? Let me tell you now the good parts of the Sabbath. Anybody has anybody can any suggestion on how did the Israelites discover Sabbath? It was passed from generation to generation. God instituted, but where did they first discover Sabbath? Where did they first discover Sabbath? Uh, at the Mount of Sinai. Actually, they discovered Sabbath prior to the Mount of Sinai. Can you tell me where? Okay, I want you to go to Exodus chapter chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 verses 22. Remember the story of the, the, the incident of the manna? Okay? So, manna falls on every day, correct? What happens? On the sixth day. Look at that. What, can somebody read Exodus chapter 16 verse 22? And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. All the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the Sabbath rest. Right, look at that. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Yes. Bake what you will bake today. Right. And boil what you will boil. And lay it for yourself, all, the, all that remains, to be kept until the morning. So they laid it up to the morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were, they, were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my law? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place, let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And that's it. That's it. That's enough time. Um, so how did the Israelites discover Sabbath? No. 
No. How did they discover Saturn? How did they discover Sabbath? We just studied the passage. How did they discover Sabbath? That was the instruction. But when did they discover Sabbath? I'm 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 trying to drive at a point. Correct. You are still getting close. So when did they discover Sabbath? No. When did they discover the Sabbath? No. Not when they rested. When did they discover Sabbath? <laughs> Let's be frank. God commanded, but that was later. I'll tell you when they discovered Sabbath. You, you read it. No. But they discovered Sabbath on the sixth day. I'll tell you why. You know what? On every day, they, they, they got food. But on the sixth day, when they went out to find food, what did they find? They found bread for two days. Do you see? They discovered Sabbath by abundance. You see that? They didn't discover Sabbath on the previous... They never went to Moses on the fourth day and said to Moses, Moses, what do we do with extra bread? No! They went to Moses on the sixth day and said what? What did they say? Look back. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 16. Verses 22. And it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses, Sabbath was a problem. (laughs) In a sense, a good problem to have. Do you see that? It was not Moses who told them about the Sabbath. It was the people who came to Moses and told them, guess what happened today? We have read twice the harvest that we always have. What does this mean? What does that say of God? What does that say of God? What does that say of God? God is the one who provides the Sabbath. Your Sabbath is not a burden. It's a blessing. Why don't you say, Sabbath is a blessing. I want you to say that again. Sabbath is a blessing. You discovered, they discovered Sabbath because of abundance. And so should you in your life. You should discover Jesus through the goodness of God in your life. It should be reflected because you're walking in it. You should be walking in it. I'm telling you, you need to. Because that's your Sabbath. Jesus is your Sabbath. Why? Because he says, I will provide your needs. And he comes through on the sixth day. Even before they had instructions on the Sabbath, the harvest was there. Correct? And now they had instructions on what not to do on the seventh day. They had to rest. But was it a burden for them not to rest? No. It was an easy thing to rest because the provision for that day was already provided on the sixth day. Why? Because, let's, let's go back. 
Remember, some guys actually still went on the seventh day. I'm like, why do you go on the seventh day when you have food on the sixth day? They just like, we still want to go out there and see if there is food. It reminds us of all some of our Christianity, right? We still want to bring in our little works in the picture, right? I mean, God be glorified, but Lord, I preached well. You know, God be glorified, but God, I healed. God be glorified, but, you know, collecting manna on the seventh day. God says, seize, buddy, seize. Let me get the glory, right? That's how it is. Don't collect manna on the seventh day because it robs God of his glory. But they still went. And what did the angel or God say to Moses? Verse 28. How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord, who has given you the Sabbath? The Lord has given you the Sabbath. Let every man remain in his place. I want you to repeat. I know I make you repeat some verses, but there's a reason. They say, let every man remain in his place. What place? The place of rest. Repeat again. Let every man remain in his place. What place? Place of rest. What place is he talking about? The place of rest in Jesus Christ. Let every man remain in his place of Jesus Christ. Do you get that? All the time. Every day is a Sabbath, brothers and sisters, for you. You are every day. That is why Jesus healed on a Sabbath. Because the... God says, in fact, you know the story about the, the, the woman with a bent uh, posture and God straightens her up and says, and they are mad at him. Why? He healed on a Sabbath. Okay? And Jesus says, if you, won't you draw a donkey and lead him to water? How much more this woman who Satan has bound for 18 years, will you not loosen? Think of it. No, I'm not saying this. Jesus is saying in that verse, think of it. On a Sabbath, of all the days that you need to be set free, is the Sabbath. Of all the days that you can be set free, is the Sabbath. All the days that your provision should appear is the Sabbath. Your Sabbath should Provide your Sabbath is Jesus, and Jesus shows up, your Sabbath has arrived. And Jesus is every day in your life. It's every day is a Sabbath for you. Every day is a Sabbath for you. The Bible says only one day was blessed by God. Which day? The Sabbath. Jesus, God said, I bless that day, Sabbath. Why? Because God wants you to walk in that day of blessing all throughout your life. Very, very powerful passage. Very powerful passage of the blessing of Sabbath. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 58 and, and everyone turn to that. You know, it's a very powerful passage. I, we have not come across that passage a lot. Isaiah chapter 58 verses 13 to 14. George, can you read that? Isaiah chapter 58 verses 13 to 14. This talks about the blessing of Sabbath and how to walk in it. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, 
and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. No, 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 no. This is powerful. This is saying God himself is saying this. How do we know that? Last verse. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. He's saying, he's telling you a secret as believers. How can you walk in blessing? How can, what will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth? What is he talking about? He's talking about great promotion, correct? He's talking about how, how will you walk in the heritage of the Lord? The heritage of Jacob. What, what is the heritage of Jacob? The blessing of Abraham is the heritage of Jacob, correct? He says, I will tell you why you and I are not walking in the blessing of Abraham. You are not over nations. You are not over your organizations, over your ministries, over stuff. What stops you from prospering in every area of your life? For God. For God. What causes you? He says, verse 13, is the blessing of Sabbath. If you turn away your foot on Sabbath, that means tempted to work on on your Sabbath. If you are tempted, if you stay away from the temptation to work, doing your own pleasure, doing what you want, many times when God will tell you, Anil, I'll take care of the situation, you stay away. And you are like, no Lord, I want to work it out. So God is saying, this is Sabbath. Jesus is Sabbath. But you want to work it out, you can go ahead. Doing your pleasure. Call the Sabbath a delight. Oh, God's will is a delight. Call Jesus not a burden but a delight. Many times in organizations and in your work and in your, in your, in your, in your ministry, in your relationship, it almost appears that doing the will of God is a, is a burden. Doing the, uh, what God has instructed us is almost like a burden. It's almost like Lord. It's a burden. Don't say that. Say that God is a blessing. Call your Sabbath a blessing. Call your Sabbath a blessing. The holy day of the Lord, honorable. Honor Him by not doing your own ways. Do not do your ways. Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7. How many of you will read Beatitudes? And you're like, that is one, four, two, three chapters nobody wants to read. But it's like, <laughs> bless your enemies, do good to those. Those who spitefully use you, not just regularly use you. You know, <laughs> spitefully use you. you know? I mean, and then, and God, and Jesus not only finishes the chapter, that's the only passage in the Bible which is red, red, red and red. If you have red line letters, those are three chapters that is fully red, right? There is no black lines in that. It's all Jesus speaking. Three chapters full of Jesus. And he closes with something more powerful. He says, if you do not do what I say, you are like making a house on a sand. And he who does what I say will be a one who builds a house on a rock. That means he's saying, just because you hear means nothing to me. Wow. He, and he, we are trying to find some avenue to escape from that chapter, but he blocks every door. And then he not only goes on to say that, he closes with this. He says, many will come and say to me, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name. We have healed in your name. We have cast out demons in your name. And, and I will turn to them and say, I do not know you. I'm like, Lord, can you just cut out some of these chapters out? <laughs> What is he saying? And we talked about it once. He's saying, he who hears me and does not do it, I have no regard for it. Because everyone hears. But if you don't do what I'm saying, that is the same Sabbath curse. Let Sabbath be a blessing. Do what Yeshua the Sabbath says to you to do. 
not finding your own pleasure and last not speaking your own words wow how many times are you tempted to confess the evil report of the enemy how many times do not speak your words and how many messages do we need to listen to say that words can create worlds around you right by the words the worlds are formed god used that to create worlds so does the enemy uses your words to create your worlds not the physical world all your circumstances align itself to your word we'll talk about it we have taken sessions about that but it's a fact do not speak your words on a sabbath which are your life in christ jesus do not speak your words let jesus come forth for you let jesus be your sabbath if you can do that he'll make you ride on high hills yeah all throughout my life in the denomination where I grew up they were thinking that you weren't supposed to wash clothes on Sunday. <laughs> no work, don't do this on Sunday. Right. See, that's a mis- that's that that's a bondage, right? Because Jesus went and said, "I'm going to heal on this. I'm going to make clay on a uh, on a Sunday. I would on a Sabbath. Why? Because he's saying, work the works of God. Now, as a believer, work the favor of God. Walk in His works. Walk in what He says. That is work." according to god believing jesus is work because the disciples the people ask so what are how do we work the works of god jesus said believe in him who's sent by him believe in me that is the work you are called to only do one work believe and do what jesus says you to do and his burden is easy his burden is easy but it's beatitudes matthew chapter 5 6 and 7 do what he says and it's not a burden and do not call it a burden let allah i told you the example of nabal right will you undertake for me Or do you want to handle them? I was telling Billo. You look at David's life. David never operated in the law. He operated in grace. Every time he went past law into grace and reached out. We can take a session one day about that. It's so powerful. That's why God loved David. He was a sinner, but every time he would go into grace. <laughs> every time he would sin, and then he would go into grace. He would go and eat the bread in the Temple, <laughs> and Jesus gave you that as an example. He says, because he is going into grace. He says, I'm not going by law. I'm going into grace, Lord. It's so powerful. And David discovered grace, and we live in the ministry of reconciliation, and we go into works. If the ministry of condemnation was so glorious, how much greater the ministry of reconciliation that we have in Christ Jesus? Amen. Amen. How much more glorious? Do not go back into condemnation. Do not go back. Works, go past works into into rest, into rest. Leviticus chapter twenty six verses nine to ten. I'm not going to read that. Is the blessing of Sabbath. You can go back and read that. Matthew, uh, Psalms chapter ninety four verses nineteen. He says, "In the multitude of my anxieties, your comforts delight my soul." Every time you're anxious, you're tempted to be anxious in your life. Remember the words of God, words of Jesus, words words from the Scripture. remember let it comfort you because your rest is in him not in your works not in what you can do not in what you can manipulate i'm telling you brothers and sisters do not manipulate it's a zero sum game what you gain in one place you lose in the other you'll think that you're redeeming something you're losing the other allow god to multiply your five loaves always allow god to multiply don't say that you don't have loaves say that i have enough and let him do the miracles in your life he will always do because he is your sabbath
Easier Sabbath. Okay. We are coming very very soon to the close. Hebrews chapter 4. The whole chapter is rest. Hebrews chapter 4. And let's go there. And then we'll close with that. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Okay. Now therefore since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of us seem to have come short of it. Indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word of God, word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who believed in it. For we also have believed to enter into that rest. As he had said, uh, so I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Okay, verse, verse 9 and 10. Therefore, there, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. There is a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered into rest has himself also ceased from his works as God has ceased from his. Verse 11. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is a living and a powerful and a sharper and two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay. And it's a big passage. But all it says is the Israelites did not enter into rest because of uh, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 19. They, we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. The only reason that we cannot walk in the Sabbath rest of Yeshua is because of unbelief. The only reason, we nothing to do with our anything else, your ability, your talents, your giftings, your spiritual gifts, nothing. There's only one thing, the Bible says, there's only one thing that prevents the Israelites from walking into rest is unbelief. That prevents you from entering into the rest of Yeshua is unbelief. Okay. Verse 10. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works. He says, if you are going to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ, you have to cease from your own works. You have to stop doing the way you want to do stuff. You have to start walking and saying that Jesus is going to undertake for me and provide for me. Okay. How many of you have heard that verse that the word of God is a two-edged sword, sharper than a two-edged sword, discerning the hearts, the spirit and the man? You know, many of that. Do you know that that verse is in context of discerning whether you are entering into rest or not? You know, we use that verse disconnected. The word of God is that two, sharper than a two-edged sword, discerning the thoughts and the intents of a heart with the purpose to find whether you are walking in works or you are entering into rest. Do you ever do you ever do you ever think that? How do we know that? Look at verse nine, eleven. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For why? Because the word of God is living and powerful, and he can discern. <laughs> this is 
let me give you, let, let me break it down for you. If you come and tell me that I am walking in the rest of God, I'm walking in his obedience, you can fool me, but you cannot fool God. He really knows whether you're working or are you resting. He knows it. Why? The more you read the word of God, the word of God will really tell you, Anil, are you resting in the promises of God or are you working in your own heart? That is why the word of God is important. The word of God is sharper not because the word of God is nice. The word of God is sharp because it's trying to... Ah, you are saying you are resting, uh, work, uh, resting brother. You are, uh, you are, you are doing a hundred meter dash right now. <laughs> you cannot fool God in resting. You can fool me. You can fool a brother. Brother, I have faith, brother. I am hoping and believing my breakthrough is near. But internally, you are like. 100 meter dash, you're running, you're anxious, you're worried. What is that? God looks at you, is like, man, your heart meter is a because he's a discerner of your thoughts and intentions. You may say you are resting, but are you working? Are you working? Brothers and sisters, the only reason we can succeed in life as a believer and do the greater works is if you can start resting in Yeshua in the Sabbath that he has given you. And you cannot fool yourself by saying it. Your heart will tell it. Do you get anxious? Can you be confident? Do you know that Yeshua will provide? Yeshua will always provide. Yeshua will redeem. Yeshua will set grow. He'll remove the bondages. Every time, every time. Will there be delay? I don't care. But his word is eternal, immutable. It will always come to pass. But can you enter into that rest? You can. All Jesus asked at every point in the Sabbath to the people that he healed was, do you want to be well? Not whether you want to work at me to get well. No. Work is my job. Do you have loaves? Yes. Do you want to see? Yes. Do you want to be healed? Yes. Do you want to get up and walk? Yes. All he wanted to know was, do you want to walk in my rest? That's it. That's it. Christianity is not complicated. We make it complicated, right? Walking in his rest. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 12 and 13. What does that say? Somebody can read that quick. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 12 and 13. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expect until his enemies be made his footstool. Wow. This is talking about Jesus, right? Hebrews is saying, this man, which man? Jesus Christ? What does he do? Has offered one sacrifice for sins forever. And sat down at the right hand of God from this time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. What is Jesus doing right now? <laughs> I want you all to reply loudly, say, sitting down. Sitting what is Jesus doing right now? What is Jesus doing right now? So why are you standing up? <laughs> 
So why are you standing up when Jesus is sitting down? So of all the people who should stand up and be anxious is who? Jesus. Oh, what will happen? Will my church grow? <laughs> will this redemption actually happen? Will my children make it through? Are parents more anxious or children more anxious? Parents. So Jesus of all, if anyone has to be standing up, it should be Jesus. Logic. But the Bible says, Jesus sits down waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Are his enemies already his footstool? No. Not all. But he's waiting. So is he lost faith in God? No. God told him, Ask of me, Psalms chapter 2, right? He says, ask of me and I'll give you nations for your inheritance. He's not talking to you and me. He's talking to Jesus. He says, ask of me. Why do you ask? Ask of me nations. I'll give you everything for your inheritance. The quiet of the king's mock, ask of me. I'll give it to you. And all the nations are Jesus' inheritance. And he says, I'm confident they're going to be mine. I'm going to sit down and relax. What is that an example of? What you and I should be doing. We should be believers, brothers and sisters, we need to be sitting down. You are standing up too much in your, in your walk with Christ. You are standing up too much. He is sitting down, waiting for his enemies to be put down. You sit down. You sit down in faith with him. That is why the Bible says you are seated with him in heavenly places. It doesn't say you are standing with him in heavenly places. How can you stand when he is sitting? That gives, that, that, if you stand when he is sitting, that's not good. That's not good. Something is amiss. You sit when he's sitting. You sit. So don't stand when he's sitting. Rest. Rest. Be rest. Do the work of God in rest. The work of God is believe. In every area of your life, do it in rest. Do it in rest. I'll close with this statement and let's listen to this. We have talked about it long time back. We have taken a session on this gospel of rest. Sabbath is not a passive benign period of blissful inactivity but it's an active taking of victory loosening of bondages receiving the healing and appropriating our rightful place of authority as exemplified by the Israelites when they were walking in victory over the Amalekites in the land of their rest got it? okay you get that? the Israelites were walking into their land of rest but were they sleeping in their land of rest? no they were having victories over the Amalekites, correct? The same is a picture of you and I believer. Rest doesn't mean that you are you are not doing stuff. You are doing stuff in victory. That is rest. Just like the Israelites overtook every city, you are going to take over every domain in your life. I'm telling you. Sabu, I'm telling you. You are going to walk in so much victory that you only dreamt of. And you have thought that why? Does this happen to me? God says, you enter into rest, brother. You enter into rest, my son. And I will make you walk in high places that you always wanted to. Always wanted to. You are, you, and this is a word for some of you. Don't look at your peers. Don't look at your brothers. Don't look at your enemies. No, 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 no. They might seem flourishing for a time and a season. But you rest in me and I will make you to ride on the high hills. He will. He will. He will. Do not delay your walking into rest because of the fear of failure. Your rest will manifest when you enter in.
Don't stay out of the land of Canaan thinking what will happen. Walk in. Your rest will manifest. Amen. So are you walking? Are you working or are you resting? I'm, we are resting. We are resting. We are resting in Christ Jesus. Let's just pray. Let's just pray. Let's just ask God to give us a revelation of real revelation of the rest in Christ Jesus. Uh, situations in your life that only God can do. Instead of waiting for God till the last minute, let's run to Him first. Let's run to Him first. Let's say to Him, You are my rest. You are my Sabbath. You are my Sabbath. You are my Sabbath. You are my Sabbath. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Master. Yes, Master. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Master. Yes, Master. Oh, Let's sing the blood, oh, the blood of Jesus. Let's sing that thing. It's the blood of Jesus that makes you enter into that rest. It's the blood of Jesus that washes and makes white as snow. It's the blood of Jesus that heals and redeems. And remember, just as we started, He is no longer numbered with the transgressors. He is available for you. His rest. You walk into His rest. Don't walk into His, into your labor. The, the word says that, Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my labor is light. My yoke is easy. My labor is light. Oh, Master. Father, you are a God who said that you will break every bondage on our Sabbath. Oh, Father, we declare Sabbath upon the lives of these brothers and sisters in this room right now, Jesus. Sabbath, we declare the breaking forth of Sabbath, oh, Master. Breaking forth of Sabbath, oh, Lord. The day of rest, O oh Master. Lord, breakthroughs, O oh Lord. Lord, we don't care how insurmountable the things are. We are going to declare that the day of Sabbath is a blessed day. Where our bondages are, we are going to be set free. The things that we ask for and petition for are coming through for us, O oh Lord. Because all we do is believe in you, O oh Jesus. O oh Master. O oh Master. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. Father, we take authority over every infirmity that is coming back again and again in some people's life. Lord, we break the power of this infirmity in Jesus' name. For you said, O oh Lord, think of it. Think of it, you said, Lord. Should not this daughter of Abraham be loosened from this bondage on this day of Sabbath? O oh Master, Lord, we take authority over every infirmity, O oh Master. Infirmity, O oh Jesus. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. Oh, Rumakasilikarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakarasalakar
Oh, praise you, Jesus. The Lord says, you shall no longer curse the day you were born, says the Lord. Do not curse the day you were born, says the Lord. Do not say, why do I live? For I am the one who brought you into this world. And I am the one who will keep you. I am, I am your shadow. I am, I am your strong refuge. For I will rule over you to see that you prosper, says the Lord. And I will give you the heritage and make you walk in high places, says the Lord. If only you believe in my son, for my judgment I have committed to my son. I can do nothing of myself, says the Lord. I have committed all judgment to my son. And you believe in him and you shall walk in high places with him, says the Lord. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. Father, we declare you, Yeshua, our Sabbath, O oh Master. Oh, you are our Sabbath over every situation in our life, O oh Lord. Oh Lord, every resource crunch in our life, O oh Lord, we declare you as a Sabbath. Lord, you, we declare you Sabbath over our provision, O oh Master. Over our house, O oh Lord. Upon relationships that we are praying for, Father, you are our Sabbath, O oh Master. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. Rebuke the enemies, O oh Master. Rebuke the enemies, O Master. Let them scatter, O Lord, before you. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Master. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Master. Oh, praise you. Oh, praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Mm. Oh, it's for... Somebody has been called to go up into a higher place, says the Lord. Mm. But you feel that even as you are rising up to this high place, it's almost like a jelly that is, that is shaking. You don't know whether it's a place for you to be. But the Lord says, even as you take that step and you walk into that higher place, the, your, your foundation shall start becoming firm beneath your feet and they'll become like brass, says the Lord. And they will hold you up and they, you shall not fall down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Therefore, stand up and take your rightful stand. And do not be afraid, for it will not give way. And you will stand strong, says the Lord. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, we praise you. Mm. Mm. Oh, Father, oh, the Father's heart longs for somebody who says, you have asked me impossible things that you thought were impossible. And you say that, is that possible? I've given up all hope. I've given up all, I've, I've discouraged. I don't know whether I can pray anymore. But the Lord says, even as you say those words, you will see the miracle manifest. For it will appear as a small cloud initially, but it will grow large. And it will become a thunderstorm of rain in your life, says the Lord. And you shall be drenched from the dew from heaven, says the Lord. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, because you are a good God, O oh Master. Father, we declare this word as sown in faith, O oh Master, in our lives. Father, we no longer live by works, Master. Oh Lord, we declare oh, to you, O oh Master, that we will set aside time in our lives, O oh Lord, to meditate upon the goodness and the blessing 
and the believing of God, O oh Master, more than the working of God, O oh Lord. Father, we want to learn to believe in you, O oh Lord. We want to learn to believe in you, O oh Jesus. O oh Master, that we not be found unworthy to enter into a land of rest because of unbelief. O oh Master, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we pray a covering upon this family, upon this life team, upon every brother and every sister, O oh Lord. And we especially pray for Alkesh and Manisha, O oh Master. That the things and the uh, breakthroughs that they're waiting for, I thank you for the good report for Alkesh, O oh Master, for blessing him, O oh Lord. Just like Isaac, O oh Lord, you'll multiply him and prosper him even in the land of famine, O oh Jesus. We thank you, O oh Jesus. Thank you, Master. Bless this house, O oh Lord. Let anybody who enters this house be blessed, O oh Lord. Let it be a place of ministry and victory and provision and power, O oh Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We worship you. We thank you. We believe in healing. We believe that you have received, O oh Master. Every good and perfect gift is from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.